Welcome to the Mix Masters Podcast, a program created by me, Steve Litcher, live sound engineer for the band Stitched Up Heart. I created this podcast during the COVID pandemic as a means to keep in contact with my friends and mentors from the live sound industry. Touring with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet some really incredible people, and I wanted to introduce you to their stories. So whether you're an experienced engineer, a hobbyist, or someone who's just wondered what goes into mixing a live music show, this podcast is for you. I've got to thank my friend Merritt Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's an incredible musician and composer. Give him a shout on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin, or on Instagram at Doubt the Trust. Thanks again for joining me. Now let's bring up the faders and start the podcast. My guest for this episode is Jerry Depew. Jerry is one of those guys who has done a little bit of everything and his story is quite interesting. It took us a little bit to get into the heavier sound-related discussion here, but his history and experiences make it worth the wait. I met Jerry some years ago while attending a rational acoustics class and we hit it off pretty quickly. We both liked the same type of music, we enjoyed checking out the Nashville food scene, and we used a lot of the same gear in similar types of venues. Jerry's personality is infectious, and his knowledge of system tuning and mixing is vast and deep. Jerry lives in the Peoria, Illinois area with his wife and family, and when he's not spending time with them, he's either on stage shredding his guitar or out front nailing the mix. He's worked with an incredible range of artists and groups, including Kip Winger, Mike Tramp of White Lion, Puddle of Mud, Saving Abel, Autograph, and countless other bands that were hugely popular in the late 80s and early 90s. Jerry recently wrote a book about tuning PA systems, and I'd highly recommend it. It's geared toward the amateur sound guy or smaller venue owner, but the advice and information is solid and useful for anyone that's interested or involved in our business. You can find it on Amazon. You can also find and follow Jerry online. I've included links to his information in the show notes for this episode. I hope you'll enjoy learning more about Jerry and his sound production experiences. And there are a few reasons his friends refer to him as Dr. J. So let's jump in and find out why that is. Without further ado, I present to you Jerry Depew. Jerry, I'd like to welcome you to Mixmasters Podcast and thank you for taking time out of your day to be on the show with me. Good to be here. Cool. Um, so for those who may not be familiar with Jerry, uh, I met Jerry while attending a smart class or rational acoustics course, I guess, while in Nashville, Tennessee, a couple of years ago. And we ended up sitting next to each other in the class and we sort of uh, started to hit it off. I think I, I must not have driven you away with all of my silly questions because uh, you still talk to me. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You're probably <laughs> regretting that right now. But uh, as I got to know Jerry, um, I've gone down to visit him uh, where he lives and works in Peoria, Illinois, uh, and learned a lot about the Midas Pro consoles from him. So Jerry, I thought it'd be really fun to get you on the podcast and have people get to know a little bit more about you and some of your experiences because you've done a lot of really cool things. We'll talk about those in, in just a few minutes. But I'd like to step back for a second and start a little bit earlier in your musical adventure and uh, talk to you a little bit about when did you get started in music? What got you started in music? And are you a musician? Or just tell us a little bit about your yourself and how you got involved with music. Well, it started when I was about, I don't know, 16, 17 years old. Uh, I actually do play guitar. I've been playing since you know, I was 16, I guess. Um, but it, uh, it started there and, uh, you know, with just being in the bands and that kind of thing over the, over the years, um, being around music and, uh, being on the stage playing, being around PA systems, sound systems and all that kind of thing that just over time, I just ended up developing, uh, an interest in doing, sound so but yeah i mean i started off as a guitar player and uh and just went from there and you still you still play guitar today correct uh yeah i do not not as much as i used to um i'm not in a full-time band at the moment anymore but uh but i'll pick it up and play it <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's hard <laughs> to put it down after you you start uh, you know plucking away. It it seems to stick with you throughout your life. At least that's been what I hear from other right. people and what I experience as well. Um, when you were playing music, uh, did you have the opportunity to play on any sort of uh, bigger stages or venues or events or anything like that? <clears throat> well. Um... When I first started playing guitar, I actually was in a band with uh, uh, the guitar player in Mudvayne, Greg Trivet. He, uh, the band that we played in, he was actually the bass player because we already had, you know, two guitar players in the band. So, but, but uh, he he wanted to. He's actually a guitar player, but uh, switched to bass and played bass for quite a while just to get involved in the scene and that kind of thing. So. But then we eventually ended up in other band projects where he played guitar and that kind of thing. And we did that for quite a while, probably, I don't know, from high school over the next 10 years or, or so until uh, um, we kind of split doing the music or doing the band thing. And I started to go back to college and he pursued other music interests and that kind of thing. So, so. but that's uh, a. I mean, that's an interesting situation to be in where the guitarist from Mudvayne has to play bass in your band. You guys must have been pretty pretty solid if you got him to take on that role. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean it's it's funny looking back on it now. We still joke about it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh and I know you've you've uh you've stayed in pretty close contact with the Mudvayne guys. I we won't go into too much detail around that, but I think you shared with me that you had like demo CDs from them at one point and some pretty cool experiences around with them. Um, I do. I, I have, uh, I have some early demos, uh, that they did that Greg dropped off to me. That's actually on cassette tape. Wow. Uh, very raw, uh, very aggressive, but very raw. And my brother-in-law actually has recorded those guys, uh, you know, some of the earlier stuff. Um, so we, wow. we've been around those guys quite a bit. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I have the advantage of knowing you personally and, and hanging out with you. So I may be a little bit too casual with some of the, con with some of the questions. So I'll do my best to try and, uh, assume that people listening don't know you quite as well as I do. Um, yeah, yeah. So if I if I jump into something and you think it needs to be you know have a little more backstory, uh, by all means, just you know back up and and take us from wherever you think is appropriate. Um, okay, sure. so you were you were working in bands, you were around music, um, you were a musician, and you your brother in law uh, had more f some familiarity around sound uh, equipment and. Uh, that got you interested in, in doing sound. When did you, when would you say you made the transition more into being a, a sound engineer and less of a guitar player? Well, um, you know, we were doing the, doing the club circuit thing, playing in a band. And I remember, uh, many times of playing, um, and doing like guitar solos and that kind of thing at where, <clears throat> excuse me, where people would say, you know, I could, uh, I could tell that you were really tearing it up, but man, I just couldn't hear a dang thing that you were playing. So it, it got, after having this repeated over and over again, you know, it, it just got frustrating to the point where in my mind, since I have a science background being in school and all that kind of thing, which, you know, that's a big part of my past too, actually, quit playing guitar to go back to college for a while. I just knew that it was, you know, pretty possible that I could dig into this sound thing and maybe, uh, you know, maybe see if I can come up with something different, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and actually make, uh, you know, guitar solos heard, <laughs> uh, make vocalists heard that kind of thing. So, but yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting thing, but actually it was my wife that, suggested it one day she's like why don't why don't we buy our own pa and run it ourselves and that kind of thing so by doing that <clears throat> you know and of course we're in a band running running the sound ourselves so that created a whole bunch of other issues <laughs> but i had my father-in-law that was able to step in and take care of that 
all all in the meantime while I try to figure out, you know, what what is it about these sound systems that, you know, whether it was a great system or it was a cheap system, it didn't in a lot of ways it didn't seem to matter what was going on out there. It just uh, it, things just weren't sounding the way that I could hear them in my head, you know. Yeah. So I just kept diving into it, diving into it until, you know, I had that light bulb moment where I'm like, okay, I know where I need to go with this. I think uh, at one point you told me that it was your wife's suggestion to start your own sound company so that you could uh, save some money. <laughs> That's that, yeah. rare, <laughs> that rarely works out though. Oh yeah. 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 So, you know, we're like, like, she's like, just think of how much money we could save by not have to pay sound guys. But, you know, here I am, you know, 10 years down the road yeah. thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I would have saved a lot more had I kept paying those sound guys. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, gear, uh, you know, the gear alone is uh, extremely expensive, you know, so. Yeah. Yep. But. Uh, yeah. Anyway. And then uh, <laughs> I want to take another quick little step back. Um, your friends call you Dr. J for a couple of reasons, but one of them is that you're actually a doctor. Um, I'm a doctor of chiropractic. Yep. I, uh, you know, became a chiropractor and that, and that's kind of, you know, part on the backstory there of playing in the bands and all that. I made a trip out to LA in the early nineties and, um, and it was uh, it was eye opening to me because this was at the point that some of the bigger bands like or some of the bands like Nirvana and, you know, a lot of those Seattle type bands were coming on the scene. So all the bands that I grew up listening to, which I liked a lot, like Rat and Dokken, TNT, you know, uh, bands like that, um, they weren't as popular for some reason anymore, you know? So my little visit out to LA just kind of showed me that, you know, that bands could, if they could, as long as they were selling records, you know, they could be, you know, they could stay signed and they could do a lot of cool things, but if they weren't selling records, no matter how good they were, then um, that was a whole nother thing, you know? So basically I decided that, uh, it was time for me to try to do something different. And I had always wondered what it would be like to go back to school and that kind of thing. So uh, I made the jump and went back to college. And then as time went on, um, you know, you start seeing more possibilities of doing some other things, which kind of led me to uh, go into the field of chiropractic, which I ended up, you know, I've been a chiropractor for 20 years now, but I was in active practice for probably about 13 wow. years. Yeah. And in, in our line of work, uh, knowing something about your back is probably a good thing for multiple reasons. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I never had back problems until I started a production company. And then all of a sudden I was visiting the chiropractor and uh, everybody that I could find that could try and uh, hopefully fix that thing. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, I love chiropractic and all that. I, 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 I love it, but I, you know, the business side of it is, is, um, there's a lot of red tape involved in it, especially with today's healthcare. But the real reason why I got out of it is, is that my, you know, my draw to doing live sound just kept growing and growing. And I started being asked to do uh mix for a lot of bands and, and doing some of these uh, big 80s, 90s bands that, that were popular at one time. They're rolling through town. A lot of YouTube bands, uh, stuff like that. So that draw was, you know, I was being asked to do that so much. And I started getting so involved in that, that I'm like, I could just totally do this and not worry about the practice anymore. Because it was getting to a point where, you know, me and my wife were really, you know, having difficult time with, dealing with insurance and, and all that kind of thing. So oh, yeah. we just, we talked about it and decided, you know, you can't always, we just went with what we, you know, what we wanted to do, you know, went with our passions and then just closed up shop and just started doing sound full time. Wow. That's a, 
that's pretty crazy. I mean, that's a leap of faith, but it also demonstrates, I think, you know, the confidence in your abilities and your capabilities that you could, you know, step away from the medical field, chiropractic, and then start a production company and, and start doing that full time. That's, that's pretty, that's impressive. Yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's been quite a journey. How many, and that was what, 10 years ago? Um, yeah, I would say it's probably 10 years ago. Wow. Crazy. Um, I know in Peoria, aside from, um, you know, doing your own production work and whatnot, you also work with a company called Advanced Audio and Lighting. Um, and I think you've done quite a range of things with them. You, you've done corporate gigs, you know, the, the talking head type of things, uh, you know, mixing tours that are coming through or festivals that are in the area, um, concerts of every imaginable size from, from bar bands and clubs to, uh, you know, the aforementioned, uh, theaters and, and arenas and whatnot. Can you talk a little bit about your role at advanced audio and, and sort of what you do on a a day-to-day basis and some of the experiences that you've had there? Yeah. Basically, basically what I do there is I'm, I'm the, uh, I'm the warehouse manager. So anything and everything that comes in and out of there, out of that place through shipping or receiving or through rentals or, or whatever, um, I'm in charge of. So it's, it's kind of a broad title that where I have a lot of different things going on inside that. But basically, I'm the one that's responsible for keeping track of everything that comes in and out of the building, including all of our rental inventory, all of our install gear, everything. So so we have a live production side, and then we also have an installation side where we do, you know, some pretty high-tech multimedia installations and different uh, companies and so forth. So it's, uh, it's pretty diverse. Yeah. And you guys have a pretty interesting uh, uh, selection of equipment. I think, you know, you've got obviously Midas Pro desks there. Um, you've got a, a pretty big RCF uh, array, a um, couple of those systems. Um, you got some Avid in profile. Am I missing anything else that you guys sort of specialize in? Um, yeah, I mean, we, and we have some Danley boxes as well that we use for, you know, like for some speaking uh, corporate events where, you know, the emphasis is on speaking or right. speech, um, that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, we have, uh, we have three or four Midas desks there, um, and, uh, a profile. I, yep. I think, yeah, yeah. We actually have an LS nine as well. It's a little, little dinky thing, but, uh, it gets used every now and again. And then, of course, we got a handful of rental walkout rental uh, mixers as well. You know, sure. like some touch touch mixes and stuff like that. But yeah, no, that's cool. I um, I was I came down to visit you. I think last year uh, before heading out with Stitched Up Heart because I was thinking I was going to be on a Midas Pro desk um, with you know opening for a larger act, but we ended up carrying our own. And you, uh, you gave me a crash course in the pro. So you're, I appreciate that. I don't know if I ever properly thanked you, but thank you for uh, <laughs> giving me the ins and outs on that pro. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, you're in Peoria these days. Uh, well, actually, I think right now you're down in Florida enjoying uh, some R&R while all of us are sitting idle thanks to COVID. Um, I'm quarantining in Florida. That's correct. There's probably worse places. I think it's probably a little warmer and a little sunnier than it is in uh, Peoria. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, but when you when you've been in Peoria and working uh, in in the role of uh, front of house engineer, you've worked with some pretty interesting acts that have come through, and I know you've been in some pretty uh, also we should say interesting uh, environments. Um, things that come to mind are like doing sound for Kip Winger. Uh, Mike Tramp from White Lion, um, Puddle of Mud, Autograph. Uh, and then you've also, in addition to those, you know, sort of legendary mainstream acts, you've, you've done some shows with prisons, like penitentiaries, and then also Corey Feldman. Do you want to take us through some of those more interesting gigs that you've worked on? Which would you like me to start with? <laughs> let's, uh, let's, yeah, whichever let's, you feel let's like. Talk, uh, we'll, save the, we'll save the Feldman show for last. 
All right, um, deal. <laughs> let's go with, uh, okay, like, well, we do some prison gigs, you know. And uh, so, believe it or not, we're, we're able to take some uh, live production into prison system and uh and set up and and do some shows for some uh they're all pretty much national touring uh contemporary christian bands that come in that you know want to talk to the inmates and they have a message and that kind of thing so uh we we basically just take a truck in there with some racks and stacks and put on a big show out in the out in the field out in the courtyard out there um but you know it's it's a, it's a great experience, but, uh, it's still pretty fun, man. Cause, uh, you know, um, those guys really, <laughs> you know, they, they haven't seen anything like that in a while. So they're pretty excited about it. Oh yeah. What do you do for power in a scenario like that? Do you guys bring a generator or does the uh, prison have enough power available to you? Um, so far the places that we've been at, um, the three, three different state prisons that we've been at, um, have had uh power not not too far away actually wow so you know we run you know 100 foot of feeder um out to uh, you know our distro or whatever and just di- just distribute the power from there so wow. we don't have to worry about lighting because these shows aren't at night they're in the daylight out in the open field with you know armed guards <laughs> <laughs> surrounding the outer perimeter, you know, so yeah, uh, it's kind of a weird, weird experience. Do they have any sort of like noise ordinances for that, uh, to the, for those events or are, no, they don't. Um, I remember, you know, going through a sound check with, uh, with one of the bands and the warden came up and he was just kind of overshadowing me and, and that kind of thing. And I just, finally, I just asked him, I'm like, um, you know, I, I want to be respectful and everything here. Um, can you, it, it, does this seem like this is too loud? And he, he's like, I was just thinking that this is just not going to be loud enough. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, I can, I can fix that. So I'm like, you know, I just want to make sure that, you know, that you're okay with it. And he's like, just, just let it rip, man. Wow. So. And that's pretty much what we did. So, you know, we took a, we took a RCF rig in there. It was all ground stacked because it has to be, and you can't fly anything in there. Yeah. Um, so it was a ground stack system strapped down and, uh, and we just let it go, man. Wow. It was awesome. Do they uh, do any sort of particular screening as you're going in and out or, um, you know, what's the security like? Yeah. So, um, you know, everybody that goes in there, uh, it, you know, me and the, the guys, the, with the, the crew that I was with, we all had to be, you know, you have to have background checks or that kind of thing. And, uh, once you pass the background check, then you have to provide a highly detailed pack list, you know, pretty much down to the cable, to the adapter, whatever. Wow. And, um, and then you, in the, in the meantime, you know, you have to advance the show with the band. Um, and it's strange that, that these bands have front of house guys, but a lot of these front of house guys didn't end up coming to the show. So, you know, I'm the one that ended up mixing them. So, uh, just by corresponding with them, you're, you're trying to make sure that you've got everything that you need, you know, so we, a lot of times we would overpack a little bit because we just didn't know and uh but yeah so as soon as you show up at the guard shack and check in you start that process of going through that pack list with uh with the guards wow they probably frown on you bringing uh cakes with files and whatnot as well what's that oh i must have lost you for a second i was making a really bad joke so it's uh we'll we'll, we'll skip over that <laughs> All right. Oh, oh, you you said cakes with files. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right on. <laughs> so yeah, you know we got these little like these little quarter pack trunks. You know, uh, got cables in it and that kind of thing. And they'll just ask you. You know, you don't you don't plan on trying to sneak anybody out in those things. And 
one of the other guys is like, there's no way a, a human could fit in there. And he's and the guard was like, you want to bet? <laughs> he's like, you'd be surprised at what these guys will do. Yeah, I can only imagine. Wow. Um, and then do you find that working or mixing in that environment is sort of like being in a, a stadium? I'm, you know, you've got walls all the way around you, sort of like you would uh, a bowl in a stadium. But uh, any any particular challenges challenges related to the environment? Not really, because, you know, because they're out in these big fields. Um, so acoustically, um, it wasn't very challenging at all, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, but, you know, um, they we we would do a uh, we would do an early afternoon show and then a later in the afternoon show. So it'd be two two shows. That way they could break up the. Uh, the the inmate capacity so we would do like a couple you know 1500 inmate shows you know so they didn't want to bring them all out at once just because you know for whatever security reasons sure it's easier to control the smaller group yeah like i guess yeah wow that's that i've never talked to anybody who's done sound in a prison before so i thanks for sharing those stories and that experience that's pretty awesome Right. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, you want, okay. So we've talked about prisons. Um, let's talk about, uh, some of the other shows like working with the wingers and the autographs and the Brett Michaels and the puddles of mud and those guys, anything, uh, what do you find that they generally are looking for when they come into a, a theater or a, uh, an arena in your area and how do you go about preparing for those shows? And, and in a lot of instances, you're mixing those guys as well. Right. Um, the, the, honestly, the first thing that they're looking for is that, that things are what they agreed upon, you know, through either their, uh, the, you know, the, the buyer, the person that, you know, the promoter, the person that, you know, wants them to come in and that kind of thing. So when they get there, they want to make sure that, you know, they're going to get, <laughs> you know, first things first, you know, they want to get paid. And they want to make sure that everything else is, you know, correct. Um, whether it's hotel or hospitality rider. Sure. And, and those kind of things. Very few of them actually came in and was was ever really concerned about the sound system side of it. You know what I mean? Wow. Why, why do you think that is? Do you think they're just so professional and they've got so many shows under their belt that they can make anything work? Or something else <clears throat> um i'm not real sure to be honest with you yeah it's it's they, interesting uh yeah i mean i think uh you know I, i'm not real sure but i i can speculate and say that you know they're in a town that you know on their way to the next town so you know they're there they're going to fulfill the agreement whether they you know have a rough night or not. And I've talked to plenty of them that have had really rough nights <laughs> where they would show up and have only one functioning monitor wedge. Oh my. <laughs> or, you know, and I mean, I, I've, there's a couple guys that said that they, they, they just weren't able to do the gigs. Wow. Um, so, but you know, I, I try to avoid all that. I take really good gear in there, you know, and, uh, and allow myself the time to set it up properly, get it tuned up, get everything, you know, up and running, rung out and basically ready to go. That way, when they get there and they walk out on the stage, they're not waiting on me and we can get right to the, you know, whatever they want to do, get right to the sound check or, or whatever. So. Yeah. I'm, that's definitely appreciated. I've, I've worked with a couple of artists that are, you know, have been around the block a few times and I've noticed what you've noticed, which they're usually the easiest to work with in most instances. Like they're just, if everything's working and everything is, you know, intelligible, they're happy and they don't ask for anything, which always surprised me. I thought that it would be a lot more difficult working with those, you know, that level of uh, performer versus the local artist, you know, that complains about everything and nothing is right. And no matter what you're doing, it's not going to be good enough all night. They, the, 
the smaller and the more local, it seems like the more challenges you have. Yeah, I I would agree with that. It seems like the bands that are, you know, they're they're starting to get some traction or they're starting to get, um, you know, are more noticeable that some of these guys have a lot of concerns and that kind of thing. But the guys that have been out there doing it for a long, long time, they, they, I very rarely have had any trouble with those guys, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, so you started to talk a little bit about getting you, you like to get everything set up so that they're not waiting on you. And I know you've written a book about, um, setting up, configuring, tuning PA systems specifically for smaller market venues like, uh, clubs and bars. Um, yeah. So yeah, let's talk a little bit through that. What, yeah. what, what drove you and, to write the book? You know, and... I, uh, I'm sorry. Oh no, you're, you're going, I'm sorry. We're, we've got sort of a wonky connection. So for everybody listening, um, apologies for that. And sorry, Jerry, for, for some of the latency there. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, I, uh, you know, the, that, that process of, um, that I went through in the very beginning of taking, you know, a passive speaker box, hooking it up to, you know, uh, some power amplifiers, using a crossover, and, and trying to make it all work together, um, that early stages pro- of, of that process was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was kind of a, it was a real challenge, you know, and by going through that process, um, and, and learning how, you know, to make things work a lot better, you know, through, uh, learning, you know, like what a parametric EQ was, you know, and, uh, and then learning how to time align things and, and try to make this whole speaker system work as, as if it's one giant speaker. I was kind of enamored with that process when I finally realized that, you know, this is what, this is how you achieve, you know, a better sound or, or at least a better position to get your PA in so that you can mix that, you know, a lot of people that are out there doing sound different places that I would go, I would, I would see what's going on, you know, and, and say, man, that is exactly where I started. you know, maybe I'll write a book about this someday and hopefully that could help them out because there's a lot of guys out there. If you talk to them and they're still, they're still using a bunch of different speaker boxes thrown together. They've got a graphic EQ on the left, right. And they're out there trying to manage everything just with that EQ, you know? And I remember the first time that I had seen, uh, you know, I went and saw a band where a guy was back there and he's messing with that graphic EQ for the whole entire show. Didn't even look up at the band. Didn't boost any guitar souls. Didn't do much of anything. He was so focused on this graphic EQ that I thought that that thing cannot be the right tool for the job. Yeah. So, you know, and it forced me to take a look at what was going on and diving in. And then I learned more and more about how to tune systems. And, and, uh, so through that whole process, I decided that, you know, one day I'm going to write a book about it all. And hopefully that could help some people that are getting started out there trying to get their PA systems going. Yeah. And I think, I think you got started with what really drew you into that side of it was the, uh, DBX 260, uh, driver rack system, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, 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 I swear it was fate. I had an analog crossover that, that uh, literally junked out on me on a gig, and and so then that forced us to have to get a get a new crossover. And my brother-in-law, who plays in a band, who owned a recording studio and he owned his own PA, that kind of thing. He's like, well, you know, what you really need to get is some kind of speaker management system to where you know, you can, you can set crossover up the way that you want. Um, you can pl- apply high pass filters, low pass filters. Um, they've got different things in there, like tunings and stuff like that. So you can see if your speakers are in there and all that. So I started messing around with that and, and I would keep seeing things in the 
drive rack that, you know, like if you have this speaker, then use these tunings or use that, these, this other tuning or whatever. And I'm like, what is this tuning thing about? (laughs) So then I started, you know, checking it out and finding out that, well, it's, you know, it's a few sets of parametric EQs being applied to this speaker box. Well, well, what does that do? You know? And then, then it comes to find out, you know, that after you dig into it a little bit, that that's what it takes, you know, for, to, uh, get that speaker at a, you know, at a flatter frequency response, you know, which is a lot of what we're trying to do out there in the field where we're trying to minimize the hype and all the different interactions going on and try to make it smooth and that kind of thing. So, um, so, you know, the drive rack by having that and then being involved in the, on the DBX forum, got to be friends with the moderator on it. Uh, his name is Gary Parrott. I'm not sure that he's moderating uh, today, but he, he was for quite a few years. He's all, he also goes by the name Gadget. So he pretty much started working with me on this and I'm not quite sure why, but I think it's because he, I think he sensed that I would listen and apply everything that he said. (laughs) (laughs) And I pretty much did. I took notes, I saved emails and I literally dove into this thing all that time, learning it and learning it. And then, you know, on the forums, you know, you will run into the, the guy and there's a guy uh, from rational that I would run into out there on the forums. I'll, I'll tell you who he is later, but, um, he used to be an instructor, but he would say, well, you know, I find that, you know, when I, I, when I work with top of the line stuff, it's just, I just prefer to work with top of the line gear. And I'm thinking to myself, well, <laughs> who, who wouldn't, Right, but <laughs> But when you're when you don't have the budget for it or you're doing a lower level gig, you know, you really got to try to extract out of what you're working with as much as possible. So that's that's the place that I've been at for a long time is making the gear that you have, try to make it be the best that you could possibly make it. You know, now today um, I'm on systems where exactly what he was talking about, where, you know, a lot of that work has been done. The manufacturer is taking care of a lot of that. I'm not sure how much we actually have access to post-crossover parametrics anymore, um, unless you're completely taking control of every aspect of the system. But, you know, a lot of guys today, they they may have some DSP control on the front end of, of it, control over the input section, um, that kind of thing. But... Uh, you know, um, so just diving into all that and learning that is, that's really was the moment for me to where I'm like, God, man, you know, the better I get this system tuned and all that, I, I know the better that my mixes are going to be. So I felt like I was learning system tuning for much longer period of time than I actually, I, I never felt like I got to, let me back up. I never felt like I really got around to mixing as much as I wanted to, even though I was mixing shows because I was more dialed into trying to get the system set where it needed to be. Yeah. You know, if that makes sense. So now, nowadays I'm, I just go, (laughs) you know, turn it on and I go and, uh, and, you know, and still, I'm still can get some great mixes. So, yeah, there's something to be said for the active systems and all of the FIR tuning that you know goes into that, and they really do account for a lot of things. And the DSP is so much better um, than it was even a couple of years ago. But it's good that you really focus on that the the tuning aspect, and that your book focuses on you know getting people introduced to the basics of you know sound systems and all the components, and you know measuring things to make sure that stuff is in phase or that you don't have something that's, you know, blown. Um, your book is really good. I, I bought it a couple months ago and read it, uh, and I really enjoyed it. Well, cool. Yeah. You know, I would have just sent that to you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I got to support my friends. You know, all my friends are uh, supporting the 
the podcast and other endeavors. So I figure, you know, I'm happy to buy a book if it, if it helps out a little bit. So. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, you just like what you said, you know, it's, you know, that book helps people to realize, uh, you know, if they go through it, you know, that there's a whole chapter dedicated to examination, you know, examining all the parts, verifying that everything works, you know, all of that plus, you know, even polarity. Yeah. So, you know, half of the systems that I've gone out and helped friends with, you know, that they're trying to make this system that they put together, make it work right. You're finding all kinds of things that are wrong with it. You know, things that are out of polarity, even monitor wedges where, you know, they've blown a horn in the past and they slapped a generic horn in it, but and then they didn't even get it wired right. So going through unraveling all that stuff, you know, it, it's, it's one of them things that, you know, like 95% of all my work that I've done was either done in my driveway, my backyard or at the shop before <laughs> going to the gig. And I'm just kind of pointing that out in there to the guys that, you know, that are doing the lower level gigs that are bought their own PA or they're putting together old systems, which a lot of, you know, the listeners that you have today, you know, I've seen some of those guys that, that you've interviewed and they're definitely, <laughs> they're definitely in a different, uh, uh, league there, you know, mixing on some of the best gear available. And that is awesome. Yeah. They make me jealous every time I talk to them because, you know, they're, talking about, you know, specking out rigs and, and whatever equipment they've got. And, and it's stuff that I can really only dream about or hope to use for a little bit of time. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I've got, I've got good friends that are, you know, they're, so I'm helping those guys out too, you know? So yeah. that's where a lot of this, you know, the book comes in is helping people that are still trying to get to that next level. Yeah. And, you know, eventually they'll be able to buy nicer you know gear and that kind of thing and then they'll realize oh i don't have to spend so much time measuring or doing all this or that so yeah it is funny um when i was on tour last fall with stitch apart uh we ran into a number of pas that had pretty significant issues um one venue three of the four subwoofers weren't working and the right side of the PA, the, all of the mid, it was a, a three-way system. All of the mid-range drivers were blown. And then I can't tell you how many venues, one side of the PA was out of the, out of polarity. Uh, you know, the phase was off. It, it's shocking to me that that can happen. Yeah, it, and it does. And, you know, um, and I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how or why that that is, you know, you would think that somebody there that's running the the venue or, you know, whoever's in charge there would would know um, and, you know, and, and get somebody to help them get it fixed or something. But, yeah. you know, yeah, but I, I'm on the I'm on the other side of where, you know, I don't go out and tour, you know. Um, I did that in the early days playing guitar. Um, but now as a front of house guy, I'm work with the audio company and, you know, and I freelance sound myself. I have my own rig and, and all that as well to where, you know, I'm just catching the guys that come through town that are on the road and not all of them have, you know, an engineer with them. In sure. fact, the majority of them don't, but, but I mean, that depends, you know, you get into the arena gigs. Um, most of them have engineers with them. There's been a couple that didn't. So we would mix the show. Um, and then there's some other smaller venues where the opening acts wouldn't have an engineer. So then we would do, do those shows. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It's surprising. Um, but I'm grateful for that because that's how I got hooked up with stitched up heart was they toured, they, they didn't have a, uh, a, a staffed front of house engineer and they were touring with Godsmack and Volbeat and Hailstorm and, you know, pretty big acts, uh, playing stadium or arenas, uh, you know, and, and relying on either the, the headliners front of house guy, um, 
And so luckily I was able to talk them into hiring me and uh, I'm, I'm grateful that they didn't have a sound guy permanently. So otherwise my life would have ended up not as uh, fun and exciting. <laughs> <laughs> right. So one of those guys that you uh, mixed in a, in a bigger venue that didn't have a sound guy was Corey Feldman and his band of angels. Uh, I was telling the story to somebody else on one of the podcasts and they were like, oh my God, I, I would have hit myself with a baseball bat. Yeah, I got a call to uh, to mix for Corey Feldman and the Angelic to the Core tour uh, on his Angelic to the Core tour. And uh, it's it's kind of funny because that was right around the, the time that uh, Puddle of Mud had come through and, and I ended up mixing for them. So everybody was, you know, Everybody was on edge, you know, they didn't know how this was going to go and that kind of thing. But believe it or not, the Puddle of Mud show went went great. Um, didn't have any issues, but I heard the whatever town they went to the next day that there was a little bit of a meltdown. But uh, but but they got through it all. But anyway, so Corey comes through and uh I had all the audio and the lighting up and running like, like my normal thing, you know, I just make sure that everything's hooked up, everything's working, passing audio, tuned up, rung out, you know, it's about as far as I could take it until I actually have a band there. Right. So then, um, so then, you know, we ended up getting a call that they had some, you know, some, uh, band bus trouble. And they were going to be running behind. So we're like, okay, well, you know, that happens, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then another hour goes by and, uh, and it, and the call was to the promoter was that they don't know when they're going to get there because he on their way down from Iowa, he, he lost his, uh, you know, the little scooters that they ride around on, you know? Oh Yeah. <laughs> What the heck do they call those things? I forgot. My son had one. Like the razor razor scooters? Um, not a razor scooter, but it's almost like a Segway. Oh, the little hoverboard things? <laughs> little hoverboard yeah. thing. Yeah. He, he he lost it somewhere. He forgot it back in the hotel room in Iowa. So they had to turn around and go back after it. <laughs> so anyway, I'll, I'll try to speed this up. So um, they show up uh, three hours later than they said they were going to be there. So at that point, we're getting close to doors, right? So, and then all the opening bands, which they're, I don't know, I think there's three other opening bands or something like that, um, which meant that they weren't going to get the sound check. But what I, what I ended up doing early on was, is in the event that he was going to be up real, be, or I'm sorry, show up really late, like he did. Yeah. I, I was able to actually get every band on the stage and run them through their sound checks and make sure that they were happy, save it to the console. And I did that three different times. And then we, you know, then we had to strike the stage before he shows up. Wow. So I thought, okay, well, at least these first three bands are going to go smooth, you yeah. know? Yeah. So then he shows up three hours late. They, they have video and, uh, and that was another thing that when we were going through the rider that I told him that I, I'll, I can handle the audio and the lights, but I'm not a video guy. So I don't want to be responsible for anything video because <laughs> you know how video is. Oh yeah. And, but I was able to bring some HDMI cables for them because they're like, well, if you could just bring us HDMI cables, then, then the the people that they had with them, they could manage it. So they show up and then they immediately see the size of the, the stage, which uh, was a low ceiling. So their, their blow up video screen wasn't going to fit on the stage because it would end up smashing it down and crinkling the, you know, the screen and all that. Yeah. That uh, because the stage was higher than, you know, the floor uh, where the, you know, the people would be at. They decided that uh, it would be best to put it on the floor off to the side and put it at an angle, which meant my whole PA on the left 
you know, if you're facing it yeah. from the left or stage right, was going to be completely blocked by this blow up video screen. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I fought really hard to for that to not happen, you know, because I'm like, this is just totally going to like this is going to like not sound good at all. And I remember Corey just telling me to not worry about it. He goes, this is really, I'm not too worried about the sound. This is about me showing my videos and the stuff that I've done in my childhood, my movies and everything, you know? So he's like, it's about the show, you know, it'll sound fine. Wow. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. (laughs) So anyway, um, that's pretty much how that went. I, I ended up doing the whole show with one side of the PA completely blocked by a blow up video screen. <laughs> what was the crowd like? Was, were there, did they have a good, a turn, good turnout? And what was like the average age of people? Would you say? Um, it was, uh, it was in a pretty good sized building and it was just absolutely packed in there. Really? Um, yes. Uh, and he went on to, you know, not long after that, they ended up having to put them in bigger venues because, you know, the people just, they just wanted to go see them. You know, I, I don't know why. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> exactly, you know. Yeah. Uh, because it's because of the show factor, man. I mean, it, it's, it was unpredictable. Um, you know, I wow. think people were just drawn to that at that time. You know, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I managed to show the best I could you know, ran around and jumped up and down like, uh, you know, like Michael Jackson and that, and, uh, and the crowd loved it. So was the band any good or, or musically, was it challenging to mix? Um, they were, they, they, they were not very good. I'm just going to (laughs) come right out and say it. I know a lot of people are going to hear this, but they were not very good. Uh, sorry to put you on and the spot. So, I, I probably should have rethought that question. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought the drummer was the best one in the band. Um, she was pretty solid. She was on a click. So at least her tempo, you know, her meter was pretty consistent. And that, that definitely helped. Otherwise, I don't know what would have happened, you know, with those guys. But, but anyway, it was definitely a very interesting show. And I would probably have to, I would probably have to rank that one as my most interesting. I don't want to, I don't want to say, I don't want to say it's a shit show, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it was pretty dang close to that. Well, yeah, yeah, it probably was a shit show. Let me, let me take that back. <laughs> okay. Noted. I, I took it out. of I put it back into the column for shit show. So it's, it's in that proper category. You know, people were coming out like crazy to see him and, you know, and so I, I don't know. It's so funny. I I bet most of the people didn't realize that there was the challenge with the PA and they probably all thought it sounded great. Uh, It's just funny how that stuff works sometimes. Well, maybe, maybe those on the other side of the room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could, I could tell, but you know, it just, in a lot of ways it, you know, down that side, it just kind of like made the PA sound like it was drunk or something, you know, (laughs) but, uh, I mean, I, there's nothing I could do about it. He had managed, uh, you know, like a tour manager guy with them and that that's what they wanted. So, yeah. um, despite my best effort to, to, to argue with Corey Feldman, um, <laughs> that's what he wanted. So that's what he got. So when you're, when you're trying to set up for a show like that and you're mixing the three bands ahead of time. Do you have a uh, like a console layout that you like to follow, or how do you how do you set up your console for something like that? Basically, my my console today, uh, for the most part, is just set up like a like a festival patch. So you know, I don't have anything special going on with it. You know, like parallel compression and things like that, because I mix such so many different kinds of bands, even acoustic acts or even bands that where they you know, um, some of these bands where they, some of the guys make their own instruments, you know, I've been you know, there. I've been like, there. uh, I'll give you an example of like, uh, like Ben Miller band or, uh, Reverend Peyton or something like that. These guys show up and they've got this old, uh, 
how do you how do I even want to call it like this uh like this Louisiana swamp style music going on, you know? So they'll have they'll bring in an old army trunk that's got like a kick drum beater hitting the side of it, but it's got a microphone inside of it. My console layout is just simple because I I don't know what I'm ever dealing with most of the time. But for some of the bands that I do run for on a regular basis or more often, you know, I will go into doing some things that I wouldn't normally do with the other band where they, they've either got a half hour or 45 minutes on the stage and then they're off. You know, it's hard to, to focus on a lot of these different tips and tricks, parallel compression, doing yeah. side chain stuff and that kind of thing when, you know, you're going to have to get that band off and then you're going to throw another band up there that where this thing could actually, everything that you did could, it's most likely going to have to be undone. So, you know, it's just channel strip, um, channel strip EQ, compression or gates, nothing routed to subgroups at the moment. Oh, wow. Uh, input channels routed to left, right, you know, like a standard, real straightforward. But, you know, doing the doing the subgroup thing, which I've ex- experimented with it with the Midas console, uh, on some of my other consoles, I would run subgroups. And I did different things with that which I liked, but on the, on the pro one, um, there's a lot more work involved in telling certain outputs that you want them to be in group mode rather than mix mode. You can only do it on certain outputs. It's kind of tricky there, but you know, everything that you would have output wise for monitor wedges or effects, cause effects get routed to these outputs, you know, like an old analog console, these all got to be moved to different places that way certain outputs on the, on the Midas console can be converted to uh, mix groups. So that usually means like your effects will get shoved downstream to, you know, outputs, uh, I don't know, 17 through 24 or something like that. So they just get routed to a different area, which is where the matrices are. <laughs> yeah. So that, w- that would be all fine and everything if I was with a band set for it, like an actual tour where I'm always with this band. But for me, new band, almost every night so or every weekend so i just go straight forward with it man yeah and the midas console in my opinion that thing it just sounds so good i mean um i don't i don't think i've ever not been able to like at some point during the show say wow you know i i i feel pretty good about this now you know yeah so yep yeah there's that magic to the midas pro series you know i i can't explain it either but it always does it sounds good no matter what you're doing with it so it's pretty hard to screw it up. I'll do a quick diversion, and then we're almost out of time here. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, sure Microphones uh, asked me to do a little promo for them, um, talking about the 58 for, for May 8th, 5-8 day. Um, do you have a preferred vocal microphone that you go to uh, for, like, a, a festival patch or for a, uh, you know, if you're run-and-gun type of thing? Well, if I'm going to... If I'm going to do the run and gun thing, which is pretty much what I do, <laughs> um, it uh, I have a bunch of 58s that I go with, and you know, and I ha- I have some uh, I have some betas. I ha- I even have some uh, Audix, oh, yeah. uh, so OM fives and stuff like that. Yeah, I like those mics on different people. You know, uh, if I have the opportunity to do that, but for the most part, if I know that we you know, my job is to get these bands on the stage, get them off. Then I almost always have 58s across the whole entire thing, unless they bring something in and say, hey, I got my own mic. Um, I would rather use it. And then we'll just swap it out and then I'll work with it. Do you? Um... So I may may have to get up there and if I'm running, you know, monitors from front of house, I may have to jump on the stage and, and, and go through it a little bit just to make sure that, you know, it's where it it needs to be and that kind of thing. But other than that, I just go with the 58s. Yeah. You, you answered the question I was going to ask, which was my hair bristles just a little bit. When somebody comes with their own mic, I understand why they want to do it. You know, it's, it's cleaner. They know that it works well for their voice, but then I always get a little nervous with, you know, feedback and placement and making sure, you know, that we, we don't get surprised by anything, but yeah, you, you do what I do hop up on stage and, and make sure everything's good. But you know, the, a lot of the stages that I'm on, you know, it's I don't get the opportunity to get away from the stage volume much. Right. So you don't want some kind of a 
you know, a, a microphone up there that, you know, even if they come in, they've got like a cheap microphone. And I've, believe it or not, I've had somebody carry in a Radio Shack microphone with the on-off <laughs> switch on it and, and just say, uh, let, let's just, let's just go with this mic, you know? And, but so, you know, I have a rough enough time trying to get away from the stage volume to the point where some instruments, you know, for like, uh, like a snare or something like that doesn't even make it in the PA. <laughs> um, but I mean, for the most part, I, 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 I think I have a decent mic collection. You know, I certainly have a great mic collection at work. Uh, our microphone inventory at the, at the shop is pretty nice. You know, it's, it's a lot of high-end Shure stuff and Sennheiser. And, you know, we have some Audix stuff. We've got DPAs. And, and uh, so, I mean, if I need something, I can always get it from there. But I'm excited. I bought the uh, DPA uh, 2088 capsule for our uh, Axient uh, stuff that we tour with. I'm excited to try it out because heard, I've heard it does a really good job of rejecting, um, you know, unwanted noise from from the microphone and just really concentrates on the vocal. Um, so I'm I'm excited to try that out because, believe it or not, we play a lot of smaller stages. I think when we were at your venue in Peoria, it was a pretty small little club, maybe 100 and 150 cap or whatever. Uh, so stage volume <clears throat> is always an, an issue in scenarios like that. So. Yeah, for for that particular venue there. Yeah, you you're not going to get away from the drum kit. Yeah. Uh at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. I I cringe whenever uh somebody comes on stage with like an, a Beta 87, you know, and and that's their vocal mic cuz I'm like, well, fantastic. We're going to get everything except for vocals <laughs> into the into the mix right. tonight. Yeah, let me know how that that microphone does. Uh that'll be very interesting. Yeah, I you know I know the fifty eights aren't aren't the best at that either, but at, you know at re- at rejection. So I've been playing around with it here at the house, um, you know, trying trying proximity and cupping it and putting a loud source, you know, behind it or in front of it, and it seems to it seems to do what they claim it does. So it'll be interesting once I get on a stage and you know start working on it with Mixie and and we'll see if she likes it. Oh, I bet she will. She'll love it. Let's hope they're they're pricey. <laughs> right yeah which which is why i don't have any for the for the run and gun shows because that's just wouldn't be good yeah somebody would you know drop a beer on it or drop it into a beer or who knows and yeah that would not be fun exactly yeah all right well jerry the uh time flew by uh i really appreciate you taking time out of your day i know you could be basking in the sun and uh relaxing on the beach with drinks and whatnot, but instead you're talking to me so that I really appreciate that. It means a lot. Um, well, cool. Yeah. So I, I will put up links for your book. I'll put up links for your website, uh, and also a Facebook page. So is there anything else that, uh, you'd like to touch base on real quick before we take off here? Um, not, uh, not anything that I can really think of at the moment. <laughs> All right. I put you on the spot and it's no fun when we've got a bad internet connection too. So, uh, I just, I would just say for the guys that are getting into, into the sound thing and, you know, and trying to get going that, you know, listen to as much, you know, like these podcasts and listen to what other people are doing and just keep, uh, just keep going. I, I think one of the things that it probably helped me out more than anything was very early on. Um, when I got my first digital board, I was able to record bands. So if I had an issue, and I make a note of it, I could go home and then, you know, through the days afterwards, I could play that back through the desk, even, even through the PA that I mixed on at the time, or even through headphones or whatever, and just really start critically listening to what's going on, you know, like how much high pass filter, does it sound right to me here that you couldn't hear when you're in the venue? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And, and just start working with it. And especially like working with different effects, the, the tone, the tonality and the sounds of the tails of it all. Yeah. So it sounds right for the space that you're in instead of in a cave. No, that is, that is really sound sage advice. The, the multi-track, the advent of multi-track and you can do it for almost free (laughs) uh, these days. So people that are not doing that, uh, that's probably, that's one of the best tricks I've ever, or tips I've ever heard. So thanks for sharing that, Jerry. No problem.
All right, well, we'll call this a podcast uh, for the for the day. I will definitely have you back on to talk about other uh, fun stories and experiences. But uh, for now, we'll wish everybody well. And Jerry, thanks again for being a guest. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Steve. You got it. And that's a wrap on today's show. I hope that you found it equal parts entertaining and informative. This show is recorded on an Allen & Heath D-Live system with Sure microphones and Waves tracks live. I use Skype, FaceTime, and Facebook Messenger to meet with my guests, so the occasional robot voice is to be expected. Thanks again to Merrick Goodwin for the awesome show music and to you for listening. Be sure to visit the Mixmasters website at www.mixmasterspodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Mixmasters can also be found on Facebook and Instagram at Mixmasters Podcast. That's all one word. Give a like, follow us, and never miss out on new episodes. 